1: Great to see everybody here today, and uh, we're continuing the series on Psalms, Truths for Life. And I had given a, a word back a while ago that I'd be tapping the pastoral team. Well, today, Pastor Austin is going to share the message, and this is his first time to preach to you. <laughs> so... Uh, He did an outstanding job in the first service, so no pressure in the second now. No (laughs) No pressure, but anyway, would you give him a great bridge welcome this morning as Pastor Austin brings the word.
0: Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we feeling? We good? Okay, great. Uh, I'm so excited to share with you this morning, so excited to get into the word, Uh, so excited for what God has to say uh, for you this morning. Now, uh, I just want to thank you so much for allowing me to speak to you this morning, allowing me to speak into your hearts, your families' lives, uh, the whole nine years. Thank you, it's such an honor uh, to be here today. I might be a little biased, uh, but you have a really, really great church with really, really, really great leadership. Uh, <laughs> yes, and so I, I've served in a lot of different places under a lot of different people, and not a lot of leaders have the heart for their community, and a heart for their church like your lead pastor does. Pastor Greg, can you give it up for your lead pastor? We so, we so appreciate you, everything you've done for this church, this community. We look forward to, to everything that is to come uh, for the bridge in this area. I also get to serve as the youth pastor here at the bridge on literally one of the most amazing teams. You guys can clap for them. That. That's fine. Nice. <laughs> But I get to serve with some of the most passionate uh, people on the planet. And last but not least, I get to serve such an amazing church with such amazing people. So, again, thank you so much uh, for allowing me the opportunity to speak to you, uh, to serve you and your families. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Austin Hogan, youth pastor here at the Bridge Community Church. A little bit about me Uh, I have one wife, Um, you gotta be sure. Her name is Rachel. We have been married five years in August, so that's the greatest thing about me. Can you give it up for my wife, Rachel? Thank you. Yeah, Without her, I would not be where I am today. I would not be standing in front of you speaking. I can promise you uh, that we have been so blessed in serving this church over the past couple years, serving the youth over the past couple of years. And one of the greatest things I get to do as the youth pastor is participate in some events like fine arts, like you saw in the announcement video. If you don't know what it is, it's basically uh, students learning uh, how to use their gifts for Jesus. And today, after this service, we're going to eat, we're going to pile 30 students in four vans, and we are going to go eight hours to Columbus, Ohio. So with that being said, this message is all about patience and forgiveness and grace and the whole, the whole should be okay. Uh, no, not really. But but uh, there will be an altar call for everybody going on the trip right here after the service. So you all can pray for us uh, as we go eight hours to Columbus, Ohio. No. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm so excited to get into this message. Uh, today we'll be continuing our series on Psalms, Truths for Life, And I hope this series has been as beneficial for you as it has been for me. We've heard some uh, amazing speakers, Pastor Danielle, Pastor Ben, Pastor Greg, of course, and they've done such a great job in bringing these scriptures to life uh, in the form of these principles that we can apply to our everyday life. Now, as the youth pastor, I need your help today. Uh, I've preached in front of a lot of different crowds, in front of a lot of different kinds of people, but the most difficult crowd for me to preach in front of is actually teenagers, uh, because a teenager could be thinking, man, this is the greatest message I've ever heard in my whole entire life. Uh, it's, it's going great. I feel like God's speaking directly to me. And in their faces, they will show you, please get me out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. And they'll stare at you like this. So here's what I need from you guys. I need you to show me that we've developed something called facial expressions, Alright, some, some appropriate verbal feedback is allowed, I promise you. You will not scare me if you give me an amen. Uh, I welcome it. Uh, so that's what I need from you. If you guys are having a good time out there, I pr- I'm going to have a good time up here. And then my promise to you is I will do my best to get you out of here on time. Can I get an amen? Okay, cool. So that's the deal. That's where we are. So would you all stand to your feet for the reading of the word This morning, we're going to be reading out of Psalms chapter 139. If you'll help me read this, it says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for an opportunity, Lord, to just dive into your word this morning and and get some wisdom from it. Pull some principles out of a book that was written thousands of years ago. So Father, we pray that every single heart mind and ear is open to what you have to say to us this morning. Father, we love you so much. We thank you in Jesus name. The bridge said. Amen. 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 You can be seated. So Psalms chapter 139 is one of the most well-known psalms in all of the Bible. Theologians describe this particular chapter as one of the most theologically deep representations of God's power of his knowledge and of his presence but what's really amazing about this chapter is that the author David is not a theologian right we've talked a little bit about David the past couple weeks and we've kind of got a snapshot into his life Uh, David's resume looks a little something like this shepherd right musician warrior king adulterer (laughs) murderer. That's kind of the snapshot of David's life, but he's not a theologian. So all David is really doing right here is he's pouring out his heart and he's writing down his thoughts. But it's articulated in such a way that it surpasses anything that David probably could have come up with on his own. David speaks about some things that you really don't get unless you have some kind of theological degree or understand scripture in in a certain kind of way. And get this, in one chapter, David breaks down all three of God's main attributes that we call the omnis of God, right? And he probably didn't even know that he was doing it as he was writing it, so he talks about the omnipresence of God, how God is everywhere. He talks about the omnipotence of God and how God is all-powerful. He talks about the omniscience of God and how he's all-knowing. Now, have you ever started talking and the next thing you know, uh, you start saying things that are just like kind of out of character, like you're like, what's in the coffee this morning? Like I'm kind of on a roll, like maybe you're praying for somebody and you're like really into it and you're like, man, I'm just, I'm cooking right now. Like I am on fire. I don't know what I had this morning, but it must have been uh, good. That's what's happening right here in this scripture. In Psalms chapter 139, uh, we see David pouring out this praise to God but although it's amazing praise something kind of interesting happens as we get into this chapter as praise is pouring out of David's heart something interesting happens where we see that even David has these issues that arise in his heart as he's in the middle of praising God in one of the most articulate ways in scripture we start to see some issues kind of flow up from his heart that we'll get into but have you ever dealt with something that you knew you had to do, but you had no idea how to do it? Maybe it's just me in the room. I told you, y'all gotta give me a little feedback here. Like, it's when the check engine light comes on in the car, right? And, and all of a sudden, your heart rate starts to climb a little bit, because you're like, oh my gosh, this could be, literally mean every, anything. And for the students in the room, the check engine light on your car, I just wanna make sure we're, we're on the same page. It's like a little car emoji that you get on your dashboard. <laughs> It lets you know something is very, very wrong. So now that we're all on the same, same page, uh, the steps for me, it usually goes like this. Step one, panic. Can I get an amen? That's, that's, that's me. Panic immediately. Step two, I watch a bunch of YouTube videos to try to figure out what the problem is. You know, I type in, why is my car making this noise? And then just a bunch of letters. And see what video pops up that kind of like uh, is around my, my, my vehicle. Step three, I take it to the shop where they tell me the price it's going to take to fix it, where then I tell them and myself that I could do it for cheaper. And then step four, I spend just as much time and money and energy and effort into fixing it and never actually fix the problem and take it back to the shop anyways, right? Is that just me in the room, or is there any witnesses that I can get? (laughs) Well, the problem that I see so often, though, is that a lot of us, we have issues in our hearts, All of us have these issues in our hearts. The check engine light, it comes on and we realize that we've got some problems and we've got some issues, but we don't really know what to do with them. They're just kind of there. We kind of learn to live with them. Since we don't know what to do with the issues that arise in our hearts, we kind of just get really good at still pursuing Jesus, but then also still deal with the issues uh, in our heart. We've all had these negative things that have kind of popped up, crept their way into our heart. And a lot of times they've crept in unannounced. They've found themselves a home. And it's not until these issues kind of surface in our heart where we realize that something isn't right, right? Some, some form of emotion has come, some words, some actions, and we realize that there's some issues in our heart. And this can be so frustrating for so many people, right? Because, because you're, you're sitting there and you're having conversations with yourself on, man, why did I say that? Like, that's not me at all. Why did I do that thing? Why did I even think those thoughts? I've, I've been going to church. I've been praying. I've been in my Bible. I've been worshiping, showing up to church on Sunday morning, and I still feel like there's some joy to be had out there. I don't know, I don't know what the problem is, but I feel like there should be some more joy in my life, I hope by the end of this message today, you leave encouraged with the tools to heal the issues in your heart instead of just learning to get really good at living with those issues. That's my hope for you today. Because even in preparing for this message this morning, uh, God has shown me so much on actually dealing with the issues in my heart instead of just learning to live with them. Because regardless of what issues lie in your heart, God is calling you to live with a pure Heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, it says this Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now I want you to remember those words right there Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But we see in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Thank you, Jeremiah, for writing that one for us to read today. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things, it's beyond cure. Who can understand it so it begs the question right how do we have a pure heart if we know that our heart is full of all of these issues how do we go about healing and dealing with the actual issues in our heart in order for god to help you heal these issues in your heart we first have to if you'll read this with me it says allow god into your heart not just your brain Allow God into your heart, not just your brain. When the check engine light comes on and you realize that there's an issue, allow the mechanic to actually open up the hood and check out what the problem is. See, we cannot just watch enough videos or self-help our way to a pure heart. It's impossible. It takes more than just knowing a mechanic. You actually have to call the mechanic and have him diagnose the issue. See, you can know God intellectually and still never fully let him into your heart. And so he won't actually be able to diagnose the issues in your heart if he's not allowed in. You can acknowledge the existence of God. You can acknowledge the existence of something, but not actually let it have an impact in your heart. For instance, you can acknowledge something like the Northern Lights exist, right? We can all acknowledge that the Northern Lights exist, but the Northern Lights as beautiful as they are probably don't have a place in your heart it probably doesn't control any kind of emotions if you probably don't even think about it very often maybe when you see it but we can acknowledge that it exists and not let it actually have a place in our heart you can acknowledge that sports exists uh, and not watch them i don't understand you we could we could still be friends but uh, you can acknowledge that it exists and not let sports have a place In your heart. You can acknowledge that sushi exists and you can eat sushi again. uh, We could still be friends. I don't understand you. Uh, You can acknowledge that it exists and not actually let it have a place in your heart. It takes more than the acknowledgement of something existing for it to actually have a place in your heart. And the same is true about your perspective on God. While acknowledging that God is Uh, you know real acknowledging that God exists is important in your relationships there's so much more to it than that did you know that there were different arenas in your relationship with God that it's not just understanding that he exists and that we should follow him and that he's great and David actually breaks it down in this chapter of Psalms let me show you see there's there's these different levels that David describes in his relationship with God the first one is intellectual We see this in verses four through six. It says, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So David shows that he intellectually has this relationship with God. Number two is is personal, and we find this in 13 and 14. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, your works are wonderful, I know it full well. So David shows that he personally has this relationship with God. It's personal, right? And number three is intimate. We find that in 23 and 24, it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if, there, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So David shows that he intimately knows God there's this intimate relationship with God and if we look in our personal relationships we could see this right our relationships with each other we can see intellectually we have relationships I mean with my wife Rachel right I can intellectually say we are married but how many of you know if I stop there I'm in trouble right (laughs) I can intellectually agree like we have this relationship uh, but but we can also have this, this personal relationship where we're intentionally getting to know each other's personality. What do you like? What, do, what am I like? How do we clash? How do we grow in this thing? And then there's intimate relationship, right? Eventually, we get to this place where we are committed in our relationship, where there's this covenant that can be established, where all of a sudden, we can now fully share our hearts with each other. I trust you with mine. You trust me with yours. And we can intimately get to know each other then, the good the bad, the ugly, the bad and the ugly are usually me. The good is usually her. I'll just put that out there. But we can intentionally, right, get to know each other's hearts in this intimate way. Now, all three are important and to grow in our relationship together. How many, like no one would disagree that these three things are needed to have a healthy relationship. However, there are people who stop at, at, with God at the intellectual In Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28, we'll get to in just a second. But Jesus is addressing the Pharisees here, these religious leaders of Jesus' time. They knew God's law to a T, but they never saw God past their intellectual. They acknowledged that God exists, but never actually saw him past the intellectual. It says this in Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean or impure. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So these people knew God intellectually enough to make other people think that they were righteous, but inside their hearts weren't pure. So in other words, they allowed God into their brains, but never actually allowed God into their hearts. So they never saw God past the intellectual. But if you want God to have an impact on the hurt and the issues that are in your heart, you have to go beyond knowing God from this intellectual level to actually allowing God into your heart. He wants to have this exchange of hearts with you. Not only does he want your heart, but he wants to give you access to his heart. And this is why I think David gets intimacy with God so well. Because he's literally known after the man after God's own heart, right? And so he's in this constant searching for this exchange with God and his heart. There's this constant back and forth going between God's heart and David's heart. Because David is after God's heart. God is after David's heart. And David is then able to see God so much more than just through his intellect, so does God have permission into your heart or does he just have permission into your brain? Because in order for him to heal the issues that reside in your heart, he needs to be Lord over your mind, your body, and your heart. The second thing that, that we have to realize if we want God to heal our heart is number two, if you'll read this with me, you can be after God's heart and still have heart issues. Can I get an Amen. How many issues we got in the room? (laughs) We could still have these issues in our hearts. You can do all the oil checks, all the maintenance, get your tires rotated, and still have issues with your car. Following Jesus does not keep you from having heart issues. You could still have anxieties, strong emotions, animosity. You could still have hate, still deal with temptations, be in the middle of sin if you have not realized by now that just accepting Jesus and following Jesus doesn't mean that all of these heart issues evaporate on the spot and you don't have to deal with them anymore. And I've seen so many people, they stopped their pursuit of Jesus because they felt like they needed to clean up their heart before they ever stepped foot into a relationship with Jesus or they thought they had to clean up their heart before they ever took the next step in their relationship uh, with Jesus. And how many of you know, if if you're expecting company, at your house you are going to deep clean that house to its core right you're telling the kids to go clean their room in case guests randomly walk by their room and see the see the dirty laundry and the smells and stuff you're going to clean that house to a T but I think we try to do the same thing when it comes to our relationship with God we either feel like we have to bring him something that is clean and pure with, with, with nothing wrong for him to actually accept it. Right? We walk into church on Sunday and we're like, you know what, if, if my heart isn't right, I'm not going to raise my hands as much today. You know, I, I'm just not feeling that as spiritual. I don't feel like God's going to accept what I have to offer him today. But that's not the case at all. That's not what God calls us uh, to do. I mean, we look at David's life. We know him as the man after God's own heart, right? But he definitely didn't have it all together. He definitely still had these heart issues that constantly needed work. We look at the passage that we read today. And as David is pouring out his heart in one of the most articulate ways in Scripture, it's praise to God until it's not. And I want to point this out. And there's this shift that happens in the last couple of verses. And it's so cool just to get a glimpse into David's life and his struggles in this moment. I'll start at verse 17. It says, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. And then all of a sudden, it shifts. The very, very next verse it says in 19, it says, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. What happened? <laughs> Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. So David goes from praising to anxious in the same breath. Almost as if the praise that was coming from his heart was interrupted by the anxieties that were hiding in the shadows of his heart. And we get a glimpse of the hurt and the fear and the anxieties that lived in David's heart that was now beginning to surface in his heart because he was pouring his heart out to God. And this is, this is so cool. When you start to learn a little bit about David's past, and you can start to understand where some of these issues uh, come from. When we start to see these Bible characters, these heroes of the faith as real people with real issues, we can start to apply the real principles that God gives us in their lives. We look at David, right? And we see that, that throughout his entire, uh, most of his life, he was a warrior, right? He was going to battle. So I'm sure there's like some kind of PTSD, some kind of things that he was experiencing uh, as he was going into war all this time, right? And then, after serving all of these years in war, his leader, his king, decides, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to try to kill you now. So he has this betrayal that he's dealing with. And not only is he betrayed by his king, but this is also the same person as his best friend's father. So he's got that going on. So now he's on the run. Now he's got all of these things. His life is kind of spiraling. So we can kind of see that there are some clear issues here. And there's some clear reasons why these issues are there. But the key is, as all of these issues reside in David's heart, they're there. His pursuit of God remains the same. See, God does not want you to pursue, or God wants you to pursue him while you still have all of these issues in your heart. He doesn't say clean up the issues and then show up to church. You know, dress up your problems, dress up all the stuff that you got going on to make it presentable to the people around you. That's not what he says. If I can get you to understand anything in this whole entire message this morning, it's that God wants the authentic version of you with all of your issues more than he wants the fake version of you with everything together. Now here's the thing. Once you accept that, once you follow Jesus, he's going to take you through a process called sanctification. Where he starts to bring these issues to the surface of your heart like we see he did with David in 19 through 22. So that then these issues can then be evicted from your heart and you could take a step closer to having that pure heart that we talked about in the beginning. So you're going to start to see God pull some insecurities up in your heart. Some anxieties, some depression, some some grief so that it can actually come to the forefront of your brain. The forefront of your life so you can confront it instead of bury it. And I wonder how many people, how many followers of Jesus left the blessing of a healed heart on the table because as God was bringing these issues to the surface, they felt like they were inadequate to be in God's presence and they hightailed it out. That's kind of the point of what's going on here, though. God's bringing these inadequate things out of your heart to the surface so that they can be dealt with. But the enemy is going to try to convince you that God is appalled and outraged that these issues in your heart have surfaced and are coming through your emotions and, and your words and your actions. But can I fill you in on something this morning? Can I lighten the load a little bit? See, God already knew the issues in your heart that were living in there before they ever surfaced. I want you to realize that before the issues actually came to fruition in your life of words or, or actions or thoughts, they were residing in your heart, and God already knew that it was in there. It might have caught you by surprise, but it didn't catch God by surprise. So regardless of the issues that are in your heart, that should not stop your pursuit of Jesus. And now that these issues have surfaced, we now have a chance, an opportunity for healing. And we can really only see that healing from these issues in our heart if we respond the way that David does. Which brings us to point number three, if you'll help me read this. It says, your response to issues in your heart is submission. We have to actually let the expert do his job. Let the mechanic who just searched the hood diagnose the problem. We have to actually let him do his job instead of trying to do it all ourselves. Your response to anxious thoughts and offensive ways is submission. Anxious thoughts, offensive ways, they're unfortunately just part of our world no matter how great we feel on a Sunday morning. As soon as you enter the parking lot and pull on to 29, every issue or every every button that you have that can be pushed probably will be pushed. I remember leaving church on Sunday morning, uh, and we would have a great, great time. As, as a kid, like we would be in the, the kid's wing, and, and my, my parents would be in main service, and we'd talk about like everything that God was, was speaking to us, and all the ways that God was changing our lives. By the time we got to the car, me and my siblings were already grounded by the next week. My parents are here, they can attest. By time we got to the car, we were already grounded, right? And so like I would leave and I would kind of be questioning a little bit on the work that God did in the service, because not a lot really seemed to change throughout our week. We still had all these issues, all, you know, everything that kind of families have to deal with. But when David notices this shift in his attitude, when his heart goes from praise to anxious in the same breath, that this is kind of the equivalent of going from an amazing service on a Sunday morning and getting into a family argument on the way to your car. It goes from praise to anxious in the same breath. But instead of beating himself up and saying, you know what, I should have just been praising that whole time. Those emotions shouldn't have even surfaced my heart. I'm going to shove them down. What's David's response? We see it in verse 23 and 24. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So at this point, David notices that there's some issues, right? There's some things. There's anxieties. He even says it. He says, know my anxious thoughts. They're there. I can see them. But the anxious thoughts, they're this byproduct of a heart issue that David really can't see. So his response then is submission. He says, lead me in the way everlasting. So if God's leading, that means we're following, right? So how do we allow God to create a pure heart in us, right? That's the major question we're trying to figure out today. How do we allow God to create in us a pure heart? The answer is we have to follow. Now Jesus tells us, right, if anybody wants to follow me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they have to what? Take up your cross and follow me. So God's not asking you to fight your insecurities. He's not asking you to fight these issues that are in your heart, these temptations, these battles that you're facing. He's actually asking you to go crucify it. He's asking you not to to fight these issues, but he's asking you to actually deal with them once and for all and to crucify them. I remember when I would try to fight these issues in my heart, especially like as a teenager, because I felt like if I could give God a heart that was pure, he would be proud of me. He would be happy with me. He would say, well done. But, but once I realized that that was an impossible task, my whole uh, vocabulary started to kind of shift when it came to problems and issues in my heart. So when, when something that offends God kind of comes up in my heart, this is how I respond. God, test this. If it offends you, I'm submitting it to you, and we're going to go crucify this thing together. And you might crucify this same issue, this same heart problem every single day, but if that's what it takes to be closer to Jesus and be submissive to him and made more like Jesus every single day, then sign me up. Worship team, if you would like to to make your way up, I want to leave you this morning uh, with some confidence, with some ammo, some tools for your tool belt, some, some practical things that you can use because I'm so tired of seeing Christians disqualify themselves just because the Holy Spirit reveals in their heart something that isn't right. So if this morning you feel like, man, there's, there's just some things in my heart that, that aren't right. There's some anxiety, there's anger, there's temptation, there's sin that I'm in the middle of. And you kind of see that surfacing in your life. Welcome to an opportunity to submit it to God and to crucify it. I love what Pastor Ben spoke about a few weeks ago on this transaction that God does with our sin when we bring it to him in repentance. And I want to show you what happens when God searches our heart and tells you to crucify something and we actually go through with it. This is what happens. Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 through 7, it says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your what? hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So God wants to take all of the issues in your heart and your anxieties, your temptations, anger, whatever else is stealing your joy and through intimacy with him give you the peace of God to then post up and guard what you had just submitted to him. Some of you in this room have been fighting issues for so long that you've just gotten so good at at living with these issues in your heart and still pursuing Jesus at the same time. Because crucifying the issue seems to be a little bit more difficult than just learning to live with the issue and pursue Jesus at the same time. But the truth of the matter is you cannot see the fullness of God without a heart that isn't pure. We read it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the poor of heart, or the blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You cannot see God, the fullness of Him, without a pure heart. And I want to I want to see you leave this room knowing that you have the ability to experience another dimension of God, even in the midst of your hurt, even in the midst of the issues that reside in your heart. But the first step to doing that is you have to accept Jesus into your heart. You have to make sure your relationship with him is secure. So with every head uh, bowed, every eye closed, I want to give you the opportunity this morning uh, to make that decision. Uh, To say, Jesus, I want to submit my life to you. So if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, slip it right back down just a second. I just want you to know that I'm not going to do anything to to point you out or to call you out or tell you to come forward. Anything that would embarrass you. I just want to know who in the room I would be praying for that's making that decision to say, I want to accept Jesus. I want to get this process started. I want to see the fullness of God go beyond my intellectual and actually get him into my heart. If that's you this morning, could you just raise your hand, slip it right back down. I just want to know, yes, I see that hand. I see your hand. Yes. Anybody else? I don't want to pass this moment. Yes, I see your hand. If you would, everybody in the room, repeat after me, dear Jesus, Lord, I acknowledge you as a savior. I acknowledge the sin is mine, but I'm asking you to come in and redeem it. So Father, today is the day that I follow you once and for all. Become my Lord and savior, in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give it up for everybody who just accepted Jesus? And that is, that is the greatest decision that you can make out front. We have following Jesus bags. That's just a way that we can uh, come with you. And and help you in your walk with Jesus. So grab that on your way out. So whether you've just accepted Jesus or you acknowledge that there are, you know, or you're just acknowledging that there's some issues in your heart, I encourage you to bring some people around you to help you, to lift you up, to encourage you. So if everybody would across the room, would you stand up uh, with me? We're gonna practice. What we just went through today. So, as the worship team, they're going to go back in this song. Connection group leaders, uh, you can make your way forward. But if there's any issues that are residing in your heart this morning, can we go through, start this process of submitting it to God this morning? If you need prayer, you can make your way up to. But come on, as as the worship team leads us in this song, can you lift your hands? Can you sing this this with us?
1: out the service with the blessing, but before I do, as people are being dismissed, you can make your way down here. The Connection Group leaders will stay a little while after service, but come on, everybody lift your hands as I say the blessing and we go. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May He bless you in this city and in this county. May the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land and all your livestock be blessed. May He bless the work of your hands at home at work, in church, in this community. May He bless your coming and your going. May the Lord grant the enemies that rise up against you be defeated when they come at you in one direction, let them flee from you in seven directions. May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May He continue to establish you as His holy people. May all people see you've been called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of His bounty. May He bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody said amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day. And I will make room for you to do whatever you want to do whatever you want to, and I will make